that your children helped actually awaken mm -hmm. your spiritual journey. And a lot of people don't understand that that is what can happen through motherhood. Like, I feel like it is almost like a divine relationship, at least for me, that's how I feel. And I feel like instead of it being, you know, infringing on my spirituality, it does help me feel more connected to God because I am responsible for making these people who they are. How has that journey been for you? Well, I, I want to pick at what you just said of, um, feeling that responsibility for making the children who we are. That's actually the problem. <laughs> That's actually what causes the stress. So the way to the way the what happened for me is that feeling that pressure of like, oh my gosh, I need to mold and shape their minds and their manners and their all of these things. Um, and as I was going through the spiritual journey, like keep, I kept going back to the, the point that we're born on our fitra, right? And fitra means in our natural state that we are, um, that we are connected and submitting to God in our natural state, in our fitra. And so when you look at a baby, um, a baby is totally relaxed, right? Their muscles, they just flop around, you know, you have to hold them because they will just like slide out of your arms. Um, they are relaxed. They, they cry when they need something, when they need to be carried and feel connection or when they're hungry or when they're diaper, but they, um, are completely surrendered and at peace with life. They know that when they cry, they expect their needs to get met. And for the most part, they're, they're met. They get changed and fed and all of those things. And that state, that natural state is what we all lose lose sight of and lose track of as we grow. So when we are a parent and we're looking at our children, it's an opportunity to remember, to remember what it's like. And that's what um, I've been practicing these days is when you see, you know, when you get your kids a toy and they're playing with the box more, it's an opportunity to remember that like the imagination, the excitement, the the joy that they can they can bring out can come from the box. It doesn't have to come from the, you know, the toy, the gift, whatever it was. That their creativity, um, that I think, especially in Islam, we've we've drilled into, or in the Muslim community, not in Islam, in the Muslim community, we've kind of honed in on this this narrative of that, you know, we have to raise obedient children, they have to be good, they have to be well mannered, and so we put this pressure on parents that you are the ones who have to do this. But when our ch children come into the world, they are good. They are loving, they are love, they already are those things. So the notion that we've got to make sure that they're good puts it as if there might be something bad within them. And so anytime we see them, oh, they forgot to you know, pick up that thing or said an unkind word or didn't greet that auntie properly, we're like, that, that was bad, that was bad, you have to do this, remember that. And we harp on them because it's coming from this place of feeling that, that uh, there might be there might be some bad and we have to squash it to make sure they're good. But if we flip it and like believe that they're already good and anytime they make a mistake or forget or whatever, okay, we're just, that was just a lapse. It's okay. Maybe I didn't teach you. Let me teach you about, you know, how we greet people or how we, you know, engage in conversation or what, how we debate, you know, let me teach you those things. And now you can go out and do it, but it's coming from a place of assuming their goodness. Um, and that has been so powerful for me to, to 
to learn because I didn't really appreciate how much I feel that I'm not good. I feel that I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good Muslim. I'm not like, I could always be doing better. So I'm always like judging myself. You know, the little, you know, voice in my head is telling me you forgot to do this. You didn't call your mother. You were rude to that person. And so it's critiquing me and like, you're not good. You need to be better. And I'm putting, projecting that onto my children. I'm projecting that, oh, you're not good. You could, you're not good because you can be better. And if we just can stop that cycle and recognize that I'm good, and even if I make mistakes, that's okay. And my children are good. And if they make mistakes, that's okay. And start from that place that we're already good. I find it really rare to meet a Muslim mom who was already afraid to be a mom because I feel most of us were programmed to reproduce because it, it was a milestone that had to be done without considering are you mentally and emotionally prepared to have this child and I know my whole life I was I'm going to be a mom I'm going to be a mom I'm going to be a mom and then it happened and it was like oh this is really hard so I was one of those people who was really surprised and was really surprised at how quote unquote bad I was at it and um, it took me until last year to um, fix my mindset, or maybe arguably the year I went to Hajj, a little bit of that changed. But like the fact that I'm the perfect mom for my children mm -hmm. and they're the perfect kids for me didn't sink in until last year. But that took a lot of mindset work and reframing work. So, can you speak to kind of with your coaching philosophy, how do we stop saying things like, I'm just a mom, or I'm a bad mom, or I have all the responsibility of guiding my children? to be correct, what um, kind of tools and coaching can you provide to our audience um, on mindset reframing? Yeah, the most important way to reset your mind uh, mindset is um, starting with your thoughts, catching yourself and noticing what you're subconsciously thinking. So for me, like I said, um, I realized that I had a subconscious thought that I'm not good in the sense I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough Muslim. I'm not a good enough mother. I'm not, I'm not good. And I can do better. There's other, you know, comparing, looking at other moms doing better, other Muslims praying to Hajjad and doing all these things. And I'm barely waking up for Fajr. And so just like this weight of feeling that I'm not good. And what I had to learn um, is shifting your mindset in three areas. And so I start with shifting your mindset on how you view yourself. And that is to start retraining yourself to believe and understand I am good. I am worthy. No one's supposed to be perfect. We're not supposed to be these little perfect Muslimas and Muslims that just walk around, you know, praying nonstop and always remembering God. We're not supposed to be. Allah has told us if there were if you were people who did not make mistakes or, you know, didn't commit sin, I would get rid of you and replace you with people who did. So we are human. It is part of our nature. It is part of our condition that we are flawed and we can accept that. We, um, I just read a great quote that we love flawed and, um, and, you know, imperfect people. We need to allow ourselves to be one of them allow ourselves that grace and understand that we're good. We're perfect as we are. We're perfectly imperfect. Um, Allah created us this way and that there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with us and that nothing, nothing we do, literally almost nothing that you do disqualifies you from the mercy and love of God. And if you want, you know, the proof of that, the shaitan 
who openly disobeyed God and was like, I'm not going to do what you say. And, um, you know, just, you know, it, and it's not that he didn't believe he's talking directly to God. He knows he exists. He knows he created him. He's watched him create other things. He's worshiped him for all these years. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do this. All right, fine. You disobey. Like, okay, you need to get out of, you know, you need to get out of here. God says, but then God, then Shaitan comes back and says, but I, I want to make a du'a to you. I want to have a prayer answered. And God's like, all right, what is it? And he's like, yeah, I want to stay alive till the end of time so I can mislead. And God's like, okay, you got, you know, he's answering his prayer. He's, God is answering Shaitan's prayer. <laughs> so whatever it is that you are doing, it is not worse than Shaitan to God's face, like, you know, being blasphemous to his face. And God's like, you have a prayer still? I mean, you know, imagine the audacity of it. And he's like, yes, I still have a prayer. All right, what is it? Okay, I grant your request. So whatever it is that you want or you're dreaming of, nothing that you do or don't do disqualifies you from the love and the mercy and the prayers being answered from God. And when you really can sink into that and um, retrain your mind to catch yourself when you're thinking negatively about yourself, and say, it's okay. If there's nothing else that you can do, just whatever comes up, say, it's okay. It's okay. Then the second mindset is to how we view Allah. And here is where Islam um, and Muslims have kind of shifted towards a notion that is closer to kind of the Christian notion. The Christian notion that you hear about is like the angry man in the sky. And in Islam, we kind of have this attitude too, that Allah is, you know, up there on his throne, judging us, writing the book of deeds. Ha ha, she didn't pray Fajr. Ooh, ooh, she didn't call her friend back. Ah, look at that. She did, you know, whatever. Like Allah is marking down and noticing and calculating all of our deeds. And it's just very um, grim and harsh. And we're trying to, you know, do as much, get as much reward as we can to make up for all of the, the sins that we've done. And this attitude really takes the whole um, spirit of Islam, uh, dilutes it. The truth of Allah and that he's told us is that he is all loving, he is all merciful, that he is all forgiving, that, you know, come to me with all of your sins. If it was as much as the ocean, I would forgive you. That we have so many stories and hadith around that, but we lose sight of it when we make Islam about just these different rules. So when we can really shift into the mindset that Allah's on my side. He wants me to be, be successful. He wants me to, um, to enjoy life, to appreciate life. It's not, it's not a mark of being a good Muslim that you're just serious and stern and always praying and no having fun. No, that you can enjoy and be happy. We have hadith that the, no one saw the prof, uh, anyone smile more than the prophet, that he is always smiling. Uh, if you have a choice between something, the easy way or the hard way, take the easy way that we have a religion that is based on a loving God who's on our side, like he's our cheerleader, like whatever you've got going on, he's like, you can do it, pushing you through it. He's presenting us with things to help us to come to him and to expand ourselves. It's not to say that life is just going to be easy. It's to say that he's on our side through all of the difficulty. So shifting in those two ways, shifting your mindset that you feel strong and confident in yourself that you're okay and then that you know that god's on your side and you know he's got your back no matter what then you shift your mindset with others and with others here now you can just be yourself i can you know let go of feeling the need with children that they represent me you know that oh 
my child, you know, was rude or did something wrong that, oh my God, it's a reflection of me. Like, no, they're their own person. Um, I've taught them something. They didn't apply that teaching in that instance. That's, that's on them. It's not on me. And, you know, we even have to do this with our spouses that we don't kind of, um, uh, take on what their behavior is as like a reflection on us. Like, oh my God, my spouse was, you know, rude to my friend. How dare they? And same thing with our children. I love that. The one thing I did want to um, specifically point out that therapy and coaching is very, very different. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously, as a medical doctor and therapy is more about uh, healing your particular soul um, and you usually do it in conjunction to coaching because it's coaching because then gives you kind of like this practical application um, in order to make these positive life choices. So I did want to point that out. And the second thing I really wanted to say is, you know, a lot of us, you know, second generation um, from immigrant families are carrying the baggage of our own parents' parenting style and making a conscientious choice to kind of break those you know, stereotypes break those things that have happened within our own family, including, you know, my, my parents used to, to beat us. Like that's just what they did. Cause that's what they learned. And obviously now, you know, I, I love them. This is not me complaining about them, but it's not something that I wanted to pass on to that. My, my next generation, what do you do? Or what is, what are the things that you can say to somebody coming to you that do that is carrying some of the baggage of the previous generation and how to start making tangible, applicable change so that the, it doesn't get carried on to that next generation. Cause that guilt mindset is definitely passed on from the, the generation before for us. I don't think it's guilt more than shame. Like it's a shame culture that's passed on, unfortunately. Shame. Mm-hmm. Yes. Shame, shame culture. Yeah. So guilt is the guilt is the feeling of, I, you know, um, you spill a glass of water and you feel guilty. I spilled that water. You know, I made this mistake. I spilt it. The water is wasted. Shame is the feeling of I'm a bad person. I'm bad because I spilled that water. So it's personalizing the action to yourself, to your whole persona, your whole character. So instead of just, you know, it's it's an action that happened and I feel guilty that that thing happened. It's assuming that that whatever that characteristic is um, becomes a part of you, right? So for example, we all feel anger. We all get angry sometimes. Like, oh, I got angry that, you know, this thing happened with my friend. Um, and then it can become, I'm an angry person. I'm anger. We feel shame because I am an angry person and I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to be a good Muslim and Muslims don't get angry. They forgive. And so you, now you feel shame about it when instead you can just look at this emotion and this feeling for what it is. And what it is, is a notice. It's a, um, ping of like, you're feeling angry, it's triggering something about your beliefs and your thinking that is making you, um, you know, discontent in this moment and dive in and look into that instead of it triggering, oh my God, I'm a bad person because I'm feeling angry and I'm angry and I did this after I was angry, blah, blah, blah. So that whole idea of shame. And now if we think about our, um, those of us who are children of immigrants of which so many, um, so much of the Muslim community is and how we were raised, we have a generation of um, Muslims who were raised really to 
to as much as they can kind of slide in unnoticed. And what our parents tended to take that to mean is to be nice, right? And what did nice mean? Means give up your own thoughts and feelings to whoever to whoever else it is. You know, the auntie comes in and she wants to hug you and talk to you to, for 10 hours, be nice, sit there and listen to the auntie. Um, you know, even if she's talking nonsense and things that, you know, are rude or condescending, like you're just supposed to sit there politely and take it. Um, you know, you know, for sisters, a brother is, you know, saying something sexist or whatever, or they're being in the mustard, just be nice, be nice, everything, be nice, be nice. And be nice became code for um, assimilate, don't speak up, don't have high standards, don't express your need for boundaries, don't complain, don't just, it just was to quiet and to shrink us, shrink us really so that we could be unnoticed, right? Because for a lot of us, our parents um, were leaving countries where, you know, they were facing different struggles or, or, or oppression and were coming to the United States and different um, Western countries for, for opportunity to grow and expand. And for them, that just looked like being able to have a good home life that was at peace, right? Not in conflict in whatever way their home country was in conflict. Um, now, in terms of mothering ourselves, you know, um, Zeba and I frequently talk about uh, wellness being not just physical, emotional, mental, but what you create through your um, work is like a spiritual wellness as well. Can you talk a little bit about your coaching and the spiritual wellness, not just for moms, like we don't just mother our kids, right? We have to mother ourselves with all of these different types of wellnesses and with this like um, thought model, mindset reframing, whatever the proper term is for it. Um, why that's more important for us to start here? Yes, we all need to uh, heal our inner child. Um, and our inner child is, as you say, we are remothering ourselves, right? In whatever way that we felt disconnected or lacking in love from childhood, we have to now fill ourselves up with that um, now. And again, like I said, for, um, for, our, for immigrant children, a lot of this feeling of, of, of not being good enough, right? We're, we were being judged by a white standard when we were not white, right? We are immigrants from someplace else, but now we're bombarded with these white standards of beauty and white standards of, you know, what they've achieved and have and our parents are you know, doing something else and eating different foods and all of those things. So to remother and re um, come back to ourselves and, and appreciate all of who our parents were and who we are. And why this is important is because the most important thing for us um, is our own self. We cannot, we cannot hope to have any impact in our own lives if we have not addressed these internal issues and we can't really um, express what is within within us if we don't know what it is or appreciate what it is so it's this turning inward which is all of what islam is about right islam the whole religion of islam is to remind us to turn inward, to pray, to sit quietly in meditation, in, you know, nowadays we journal and those things in reflection. How many times are those things repeated in the Quran? 
um, versus how many times is it told to, you know, to go, you know, and, and go out and do things. It's always telling us to look back, look inward. And what I do in my coaching with spiritually is that right now, what I believe is that Islam has been reduced to rules. It's been reduced to, you know, how do you wear your hijab, your beard length? Are you eating gelatin? Oh my God, there's gelatin and Oreos. Oh no, no more. They're not in Oreos, but they're the Skittles that we're just like checking off a list of um, to do's and not to do's. Right. And I don't know how many email threads you guys have been on about gelatin, but like we get it. Like we're trying not to. And I believe that God would forgive us if I, you know, ate that one thing that had an enzyme of a pig that I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and, but that's, if, if in that example is how petty we've made God, we made God petty that he's going to judge us. You ate that gummy bear. It had pork enzyme in it. That counts against you. That counts against you. What? Do, you re- do, do we believe that God is that petty? We are that petty. God is not like us. <laughs> Thank goodness. God is not like us, right? He is all merciful. And so we have to let go of that notion that this is a, um, a pettiness to God about how he's viewing us and how he's judging us. And then that releases us to accept that God is loving and God is love. And part of what I do is I write these devotionals and they're short reminders that help you hear God in loving and supportive tones so that you can appreciate that God is looking more at the bigger picture because that's what he tells us in the Quran, right? Like the, you know, the, the ruling against like pork and alcohol and all of these rules came, first of all, like 13 years into Islam. So the first 13 years, all that the prophet, peace be upon him, was building up in the community was their connection to God. And then after that came the rules. And nowadays we have it reversed. The first thing we teach our children is the rules. You're not allowed to eat pepperoni. You have to wear the hijab. You have to pray like this. Da, 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 da. They don't know who God is. They don't know what he's doing. They just think, oh my God, this you know being is judging me if I don't do all of these things. And I've got to learn all these lists of rules and I got to do them. And that's not, um, that is not our tradition. That is not our history. Our history and our tradition is of communing and connecting with God. The first um, the first set of believers, it was obligatory for them to pay, pray to Hajjid. Why pray to Hajjid? Like the most difficult thing, because that was how they were getting close to in the middle of the night, standing up, praying. And it wasn't just it wasn't just uh, the ritual movements of prayer and saying words. First of all, they understood the language. So they were reciting things that they understood and had deep meaning for them. And we know about that because there's so many stories of how just hearing the Quran, people would burst into tears or immediately convert that the words had power and meaning. For us, it's just like say, you know, if make dhikr, right? Remember God, bismillah, subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. We don't know what we're saying. We're just repeating it. We're supposed to say it a hundred times. It has no um, bearing into our hearts. And so beyond the rituals that you do and of course, everyone should engage in the rituals as they can. But beyond that, find ways to connect spiritually that touches your heart, that whatever way, subhanAllah, that you can say it, if it's in English or if it's a drawing a picture or looking at nature that makes you feel, subhanAllah, do that. Because you want the point was to feel it. The point was never to just recite and stand and move up and down. The point was to feel the connection. 
And these rituals are triggers and ways to help you remember. Just as now yoga is popular, um, similarly, right? So you, we already know that prayer is a, is a type of yoga. It's, and then if you do yoga, you know that you're focusing on the breath, you're watching what you're thinking, you're connecting. We're supposed to pray like that. We're supposed to be focused on our breath. We're supposed to be watching what we're thinking. We're supposed to be thinking about God. We're supposed to be having that communion with our internal body and with an external being. Um, and not even an external being. Allah says that he's closer to us than our jugular vein to really feel into where is Allah within us? Where is God within us? Where do I feel that connection? And so as we are remothering ourselves, it is to go back to that childlike state, to that fitra where we, where we felt it. When you look at children, that's why, um, that's why children are the example. When you look at children and you just see them happy and carefree and, you know, they are not worried about the future, what's going to come tomorrow. And they're not thinking about the past and their past mistakes. You know, they have, they don't carry that shame. You know, they'll come to you the next day, uh, that day, mommy, can I have ice cream? Like you just had ice cream earlier or remember what you did yesterday? They're like, well, that was yesterday. Can I have ice cream now? Like they're not they're like, okay. And if you tell them in have it after lunch, after dinner or whatever, like, uh, no, I want it now. Like, there's no concept of this delay and whatever, like, this is what I'm feeling in the moment. I feel that I'm worthy and deserving of it now. You know, no child ever says, well, do you think you deserve it? They always say, yes. You're like, oh, you don't deserve it because of blah, blah, blah. But they don't have that notion. They know I am worthy of whatever I want and I am deserving of whatever I want. And that's why I have no shame asking for it a hundred times because I'm worthy of it. And uh, it's unfortunate that I have to go through you to get it, but um, they understand that they're, they're not having to have this whole sort of mental gymnastics that we do as adults. Did I earn it? Did I deserve it? Am I worthy of it? Am I being judged? Blah, blah, blah. They don't do that. They're just looking in the moment. I want to play with my friend. Can I play? Um, and they see no reason why not. They're playing and they play. And so it's to, it's the way that our children can be that spiritual guide for us that like, that's an okay way to live, that that's an okay way to be, right? The most thing that we want for our children is for them to be happy. And then we come in and try to manufacture all of this happiness, but they're already happy. Like you look at them and they wake up and they're happy. Like I literally wish I could wake up like any of my children do. I do not know like how they have so much energy. I wake up, I'm just exhausted. Like, oh God, can I please just go back to sleep? They're waking up ex excited. And I'm like, what are you excited about? What are you excited about? I don't know. <laughs> but isn't that the beauty of having children is that as parents, we get to see the simplicity of life through their eyes and be able to experience it again. And I, and I remember this one particular time, my Z3 was, he was, uh, he was praying um, right before, like, obviously we do prayer together and then they go to bed and they do their duas. And then I just saw him like really fervently like praying. And I come up to him, I'm like, you know, I matter of factly said, oh, so what are you praying for? Thinking he was going to ask for like a toy or something. He was like, nothing, mama. I'm just telling Allah how grateful I am for every, and then I was like, what a great reminder, right? To be like gratefulness, that concept of positivity. And, and, you know, the reality of the, of life is half of life is fake it till you make it. If you're faking like you're happy, 
it'll eventually come, right? Like try to find the positive, like when everyone's like, how's it going? Like, do you really want to know how's it going? Do you want me to spend 15 minutes telling you like what a crap day? <laughs> or do am I going to focus on, I got up, my, my kids were cuddling with me. We have a roof over our head. We are eating healthy meals together. We have this opportunity. It's not the most ideal time. 2020 is not the best year, but what can we learn and grow? And it's that concept of connectivity and growth mindset that I think if we all have, it can put us in a, in a better, more spiritual, happier place. I like the reminder of the attitude of gratitude, but, you know, a couple of thoughts that I had, you know, based on what Zahra was just saying, you know, the inherit natural um, innocence and worthiness of children. When we're um, policing our kids and saying, you need to do this by this, you know, we're setting milestones for them instead of letting them independently self-direct themselves. When we're policing them, is it possibly, and this is just a question for us to think about, are we policing them because we're jealous of the relationship that they have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Like they're completely innocent. Like they're not even accountable for their sins until after they hit puberty. Are we jealous of that? And is that why we're imposing all these rules on them? Because that trauma was done to us and now we're doing it to you. I think there is an element of conscientiously doing it out of jealousy for their innocence, possibly. The second thing that I want to remind ourselves of, uh, us of is whomever Allah guides, no one can misguide. And whomever he allows to be misguided, no one can guide. So when we are like, oh, my kids have to be the perfect Muslims and they have to be the best Muslims and it's up to me and I have to make them read Quran and I have to make them pray five times a day and I have to make sure that they fast 30 days, blah, 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 all of that stuff. If they don't want to do it out of a love for Allah themselves, you can't create that. That is a gift only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give. And that's something that we only come to understand once we fully recognize the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we observe it in our parenting and the way that we parent our kids. And that takes a level of um, thought reframing about the results that we want. Um, if I want children that are close to Allah, then these are the thoughts that I need to have that will serve that purpose and achieve that goal. These are the ones that will not. And I think it's really important. You know, again, I learned this very late in life and I wish I had had somebody like Zahra in my life back in my twenties and thirties, when I late twenties and thirties, when I was, parenting little kids, not understanding this, but now she's available to people who maybe are struggling, you know, new moms, moms of teens. I feel like with every um, milestone that our kids have, we probably regress a little bit and are like, oh my God, like it's all out of my control. And the beautiful part is we never had control, you know, it was never in our hands, but people like Zahra can probably teach us the exercises that we need in order to remember that no matter what comes our way, whatever challenge comes our way. What do you think about that, Zahra? I love that. I love what you just shared. That's a great way to end is the most important thing is the, that illusion of control and to recognize that society is what is, um, uh, fostering that belief right you know i always think of when traveling and there was one time on the plane that a person turned back and was like you know one of my kids was crying can you control your kid and i just felt so much shame and guilt like oh my god how can i get them to stop crying i'm trying to nurse him and he's not sleep crying oh. 
and but I cannot control I cannot I cannot like but society makes you think like can you control your kid you should be in control of your kid but we cannot and we have to let go of that idea and if someone says that to you be like no I can't control my kid can you control them can you even control yourself from you know stopping to eat a cake if you saw a cake like we barely have control over ourselves let alone another human being Zahra, where can people find you if they want more information on how to retrain their brains and their mindsets? Um, so the almost social media I use is Instagram, and there I'm at, at Practical Muslim. You can also email me, Zahra at PracticalMuslim.com. Um, and my website is practicalmuslim.com. So find me there. Thank you so much for joining us today and for all the great information and great reminders that we're gonna need. And you know, like Zeba was saying. We, once we start practicing it, we'll be modeling it for our children. And inshallah, you know, that is just when women are healthy, the households are healthy. I just, I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today and for all your pearls. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.